Get it all out of your system. Why are you so tired? I watched football last night. I don't get home till... All right, I don't want your life story. Right, we ready? to another episode of Too Much Time on Our Hands, a theatrical cut. I'm Sonia, and sat opposite me with his face for radio is Terry. Hi, Sonia. Hello, dear. Happy February. Oh, yeah. We finally reached it. We made it. After, what was the date last time? The, the 73rd of January, I think. It has, yeah, it's been a long time. Got paid. That was good news. Yeah. Yay. Um, yeah, happy February to you too. Nice short month. What are you doing for Valentine's Day? Actual Valentine's Day, probably. Oh, actual Valentine's Day, I'm playing football because it's Thursday. But uh, Daisy's away, is having a night, a sleepover with her mum, with Nanny on the 9th, which is Saturday. So we'll have our Valentine's Day on the night. So we'll probably do cinema and film. Cinema and a film? Cinema and dinner. <laughs> Lucky Gemma. Yeah, <laughs> cinema and a film. About that time we went to the cinema and then watched a film. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was actually a terrible day. Um,. Right, anyway, we're back. We're going to be talking about our uh, films that we've watched over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Since we last got together and talked about Guy Pearce. Um, what should we begin with? Well, we'll begin with a film that we both saw. The first Not film together, I saw. Not together. No. But at the same time. Yes. Was it? Yeah, because it was an unlimited screening. Lovely. Uh, Vice. Yes. We were excited about this last time we recorded. Very excited. Um. <clears throat> what did you think of Vice? I really, really liked it. Um, obviously, it's all about Christian Bale. That's all anyone's going to talk about because it, <clears throat> because it is absolutely ridiculous what he's done for this film. It's just... Most people would wear a fat suit. Obviously, Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour, was that it, where he played Winston Churchill? It was. Whereas Christian Bale, no, fuck that, pass me the pies. Yeah. And, oh, ice cream, wasn't it? Pies and, yeah, he'd put like a haagen in the microwave... And then drink it. I think I'm in love with him. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just... I mean, you said it before. He was completely unrecognisable. Sometimes with an actor, it takes a while for you to not realise who you're watching. But from the outset, you were watching Dick Cheney. You weren't watching Christian Bale. It was just phenomenal. And I think the film itself, aside from Christian Bale, is really good. I love the way Adam McKay makes films. Obviously, he did the big short as well. Mm. I just love the sort of irrelevant... <clears throat> the sort of Family Guy-esque cuts to random footage. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, in this, it's like a tortoise and a hare. You've got Naomi Watts as a news reporter. Obviously, The Big Short has a cut to Margot Robbie in the bath explaining a very difficult financial term. Do we want to quickly uh, tell tell people what Vice is about? Oh, yeah. So it's about Dick Cheney and his improbable rise to being one of the most powerful men in the world, despite being, by all accounts, an incredibly boring man. Mm. And an unhealthy man as well. He had yeah. quite the few heart attacks, didn't but, he? But what I loved about that is just how blasé he was. Every yeah. time he's just like, shit, I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. Like one of them, one of them he like has a bit of a tumble, doesn't he? But then there's another one where he's literally, he's talking to his family and just goes, oh, I'm really sorry, we're going to have to go to the hospital, which happened again. Yeah, <laughs> like at the table, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just like, it's, just oh, like, oh. it's like a real inconvenience. Yeah, and it, he, you could just see that he was just so annoyed at the fact he was going to have to go and do it. But yeah, so it charts him. We see him very briefly <coughs> early on in his As life, but it man, mainly yeah. covers sort of the 80s and 90s where he worked for the George... Bush senior administration and then obviously most famously as the vice president for George W. Bush. Yeah. Where he somehow, I mean, I didn't know because part of the thing is actually that no one knew about him and what he was doing. I had yeah. no idea the level of power he managed to wheedle whole, himself. Um, the whole thing, you know, when September the, September the 11th happened and you see that scene with them yeah. in that room and, and he basically takes over. Yeah. He's totally in charge. Yeah. Um, Completely not in charge and quite happy with that. And it's like there's meetings where people go, does George Bush know that you've done all this? Mm. He goes, no. Or like, how have you got him to do this? He doesn't know what he's doing. I've just told him this is what I'm going to do. But also that was kind of their arrangement, wasn't it? That, was, yeah. that he gets to make those decisions. Yeah, because there's a scene where he says, I'll be your vice president, but 
you're a president, you, you're busy, so let me take some things off your head. So I'll do like uh, foreign policy, the military, and just list off everything that you would probably all want to do. All the big shit. Yeah, all the shit that's actually going to make a difference. And it's just... I mean, I'm assuming, because even the disclaimer right at the beginning of the film, this is a true story, or near enough is quite secret, but we fucking tried. Yeah. <laughs> Actual words, but we fucking tried. Um, so something that, something that we talked about, because obviously we saw this set in two different cinemas um, watching this. Um, and I, this isn't a spoiler, because if you go and see this film, pay attention to what we're about to tell you. Very short way into the film, probably 20 minutes, half an hour into the film, um, it plays out that there's a, a happy ending and a set of fake credits come up, don't I they? I think and it's they, about the middle. I think it's a bit before the middle because it hadn't been on for it yeah. hadn't been on for like an hour, but a set of basically fake credits come up and they make out that yeah, because um, his daughter's gay and he finds out and it then goes to he retires from politics because he doesn't want any sort of trouble for his daughter. He starts competing in Ironman competitions. Yeah, and he like breeds champion yeah, breeds, dogs and stuff yeah. like that. But um, at the screening that we were at, three people got up and walked out because they thought it was the end of the Did movie. Did they actually leave, leave? They or left. They... they got up and they left because they thought it was the end of the movie. And one of them actually said as they were walking out, that wasn't very long. And because um, <laughs> the rest of us are sort of like all looking around going, it clearly isn't the end of the film because there, there had yeah. been things like I hadn't got say, to be vice president yet. Um there were like funny little inserts in the film where you have people like cropping up to explain things. Or one of my favourite explanations was the in the restaurant scene where they've got the guy reading out the specials board, oh. but he's basically reading out all the different policies and uh, yeah. they'll go, we'll have one of each, please. Yeah. But yeah, if you go and see Vice, no, not if you go and see Vice, you should go and see Vice. And when the first set of credits come up, don't, don't leave. leave. <laughs> it's just for fun. Um, but you've got Sam Rockwell in it as yeah. George W., um, Steve Carell as Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld, and Amy Adams as um, Mrs. Cheney. Mrs. Dick Cheney, um, and isn't she up for Best Supporting Actress? Yes, she is. Uh, but we'll talk about that next episode. Um, but uh, what an all-star cast! Oh, absolutely! I just there's n- not a weak link in it, and even like a very an <coughs> odd role. He's essentially the narrator. Jesse Plemons is a very good actor, and he does a really interesting thing with that part as well. It was just yeah, um, yeah. That was that was really unusual as yeah, well. Very it's, odd framing device, but just, works really well. I I just think it's if you like political films, it's good, and if you like a black comedy, it's yeah. good. It's just twisted, dark, political, and just so entertaining. The time flies by, and it's so well done. Yeah, it's just so Adam McKay is just really good at. Make it accessible, I think, because yeah. there's a lot of stuff that... I mean, I've watched The West Wing, so obviously I'm an expert in American politics. Oh, of course. Um, but yeah, there's things that you wouldn't understand, and they just f- find a way to explain it enough so that you can get the film, but not beat you over the head yeah, with stats. Yeah, yeah. Which I think was done more in the big short, because they had to explain all the mortgage gubbins. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's just... Yeah, really, really good film. Really liked it. I can imagine it getting a couple of Oscars, but again, we'll, we'll cover that in the next mm. episode. But yeah, no, I really, really enjoyed it. I gave it five stars on my Letterboxd. I gave it four. I really, really enjoyed it. I think it could go up to five with another view. And I, mm. I did really like it. And it, I don't, I'm always wary of giving five stars the first time I see a film. I oh, don't know why. I throw those five stars around like nobody's business. Yeah. Um, what did you see next? Uh, so the next film I saw was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, I'm so jealous that you saw this. So... I had a day off, so I decided to go to the cinema. I saw another film directly afterwards, but we saw, you saw that as well, so we'll cover that in a minute. It's one I wanted to see for ages, and I was very adamant I wanted to see it on the big screen because everyone I've spoken to has said like, how amazing it looks. And it is just, it does look incredible. So they've gone to painstaking detail. They've created new software to do it. So it actually looks like a comic book in places. You know, like sometimes a comic book is almost like double printed, so it's like... Every line's on there twice, but not on purpose. And it's they go all bobbly. There's bits in the film where it goes like that. At first, it almost feels like you're watching a 3D film without the glasses on. And it takes your eyes a few minutes to adjust to what's going on. Hmm. But once you adjust, it's just... It looks amazing. There's an amazing bit, which is in the trailer, where he's falling downwards, but they show it like he's rising upwards. And it just looks absolutely phenomenal. And the storyline... It's just so, so good. It's really, I mean, obviously, if you've seen the trailer, it's very intricate. 
Basically, I haven't seen a trailer. You've not seen a trailer. No. So it fo- follows Miles Morales, who, if you're into Spider-Man, you know that he is another Spider-Man who follows after Peter Parker. And this film is like his film where he gets bitten, stuff starts to change. Um, but there's the added thing of Kingpin, for reasons I won't go into because it's a spoiler, has built this machine that can cross dimensions and essentially that ends up bringing like five different Spider-Men into this universe. And then the five of them have to work together to get back to their own universes before like all of the dimensions destroy themselves because they're trying to pull each other in. So you have Peter B. Parker, who's obviously another normal Spider-Man. You have Gwen Stacy, who's now Spider-Man. You have Bat- uh, Spider-Man Noir, played by Nicolas Cage, who is a black and white Spider-Man in this universe. So he's still black and white and constantly has a breeze on him, even when they're in a room with no breeze. And it's silly little things like that. You've got Peter Porker, who is a pig, and he's constantly got snot running down his nose. And it's just, it's like balls to the wall, just it doesn't matter. Let's just do it. And it's it's really funny. It's really heartwarming. It's got lots of different things. If you're a Spider-Man fan, it twists certain things on its head so you don't know what's coming. But it's just essentially follows Miles Morales becoming Spider-Man, learning to be Spider-Man and learning to sort of embrace being Spider-Man. Mm. But it's just so well done. I would really recommend seeing it at the cinema just to see it on the big screen. Is it still on? I think so, yeah. And um, it's got an amazing credits. Not like a credit scene, but the credits themselves just mm. look amazing. I stayed to watch that. I didn't know if there was a credit scene or not, but I stayed and watched it. There is a post credit scene. So do stay very till the end if you do go. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just really enjoyed it. Although, strangely, someone left halfway through the film. I thought they were going to do it. They never came back. <laughs> but yeah, I would heartily recommend it. I did give that five stars because it was just absolutely mind-blowing. Cool. I'll have to give that a look. Moving on to our next film. I wonder if either of us gave that five stars. Um, assuming it was yeah. the same film. Yeah. Um, I went to see an unlimited screening of this. Terry couldn't make the unlimited screening, so he saw it the day after, and I held back from putting Everyone it on my letterbox. Everyone held back from telling me what they thought. Um, well, we made a, we all made a pact when we watched it. We said, right, when Terry asks us how it was, just don't say anything. Don't say anything. We we just ignored you, didn't we? Yeah, I got nothing. Um, because we wanted your like fresh reaction to it. Um, we went to see Glass, uh, which M. I Night think Trey is trilogy closer. I think it's fair to say that we were all looking forward to this. Um, I was intrigued. Yeah. But, yeah, you're intrigued. Mm. We were looking forward to it. So myself, Rich and Dan went to see it at the Unlimited screening. It's fair to say the three of us were looking forward to it. All enjoyed Split. Um, Halfway through the film, this thought just popped into my head. And the thought was... Is this a fucking joke? Because <laughs> I'm not. I'm, maybe I'm not in on it. Um, because I was just, and I looked at my watch as well, which is always a bad sign. I'm in the at cinema. My watch a lot. I looked at my watch, um, and I was absolutely flabbergasted to realise we had over an hour left to go. We weren't even halfway through, because the film felt about thirteen hours long. Um, I thought it was. Shit. Let's just let's just come out and just say uh, what we think. I thought we, it was laughably bad. I was literally just about to say, literally in my screening, so I saw it the day after on opening day, during the dramatic finale, air quotes, everyone in the screen was audibly laughing. Mm. I could feel, um, Dan was sat two seats away from me, I could feel him laughing. Um pretty much throughout the whole film and it wasn't laughing because it was funny it was laughing because it was bad no it it was just out and out awful i think i think the first 25 minutes or mm. so up until they get captured essentially yeah. and put in the thing then it just becomes like what is going on yeah um i thought the dialogue was bad i don't know where the script was going the three add-on characters um, you know, oh, so yeah. they've all got like a little... Yeah, they're partners. They're partners, if you like. Um, the girlfriend, the mum, the... Son. Other? Son, that was it. I was trying to think who the other person was. It was the scene with those three. 
when they kind of like come out of a building like in all like heroic and I think there was a bit of wind blowing and all of their hair was blowing and I just thought is this a joke is this a joke it was the the best thing about the film was um can't even remember his name um not Bruce Willis James McAvoy yeah that's him um his bum that was the best thing about the film here there was a bit where he's climbing up the wall and I thought oh he's got in shape and that was the only positive thought I had during the film. Um, and when it had finished, I turned around to the other two and I said, that's two hours of our lives. We're never fucking getting Over back. two hours. <sighs> I yeah, no, like cause way, way over two I hours. I think the only person to come out of it with credit is James McAvoy because mm. although I think the characterization of Kevin in this film is shit and the dialogue is shit, the w- he does a lot more <clears throat> flicking between the personalities, which yeah. he does really well because they have the thing with the strobe light that can cut him out of his mm. personality. So he has to literally flick between, between, between. So I think he does well, but yeah, everything else, like the dialogue, the story, the twist upon a twist upon a mm. twist, which you know you're going to get with Shyamalan, but it's like, it would have almost been a twist if there hadn't been a twist because yeah. it was a Shyamalan film. And I think that would have been quite refreshing. And I think the worst part of the film for me was M. Night Shyamalan's cameo. The most ridiculous scene in a film acted so poorly by the three people in it one of which is Bruce Willis and it's just like how has that made the cut for this film okay so I don't know what he looks like so I don't know what the camera uh, was he is the guy in the shop at the beginning when Bruce Willis is saying I'm going to go for a walk and he goes no dad you're not going to go for a walk and the guy oh, and just, he's buying the security he's buying stuff the sc- and he goes just let your dad go for a walk that's M. Night Shyamalan he's oh. always he's in all of his films I thought he was older um, I think he's quite good looking for his age but I think um, the big problem with the film is apparently M. Night Shyamalan put up 50% of the budget out of his own money because he wanted to make his own film. So he had no one telling him, that's fucking shit, don't do it. Mm. Which I think happened a little bit to Peter Jackson with like King Kong because that needed an hour trimming off it. But he was Peter Jackson at that point and no one was telling him what to do. And I think he needed someone else to just go, come on, mate, you can cut this out. Apparently the original cut of the film was three and a half hours long. What, of glass? Yeah. Three and um, a half hours of that. It felt so long. It dragged so much. I, I honestly couldn't tell you the last time I left the cinema feeling so as disappointed. And actually, Rich hadn't seen uh, Split because a few days later we watched Split. And I have to say, after watching Glass, I didn't enjoy Split as much. I loved Split when yeah. I'd seen it. If I'd seen it a couple of times before seeing Glass. And after watching Glass... I didn't enjoy it as much. Because mm, for me, Split got a bit silly when be- the Beast turned up. When it was just normal mm. personality flicking and when it became the sort of superhero sort of element. But yeah, it's just... Yeah, I mean, say I didn't go into it with any sort of... I was not excited, interested to see because I liked Split. I wasn't that keen on Unbreakable. But just <coughs> the ending of this film, I have I can't talk about it because I'll ruin the film, but... It's just so fucking awful the way everything plays out. Mm. It's just oh, it angers me. Not not skyscraper levels, but yeah. Um, I think this was my skyscraper. Yeah. I actually shouted at the end of the film, and they did actually turn around to me and say, "All right, calm down, Terry." <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Um, so we cannot. Um, the theatrical cut pod cannot recommend Glass. I wouldn't um, even recommend it if you were bored to tears and it was the only DVD in a room. Hmm. I'd say hit your head against a wall instead. Yeah, read a book. Um, right, what did you see after that? Uh, so the next film I saw, which again I know you've seen, is The Favourite. Okay, so yeah, I saw you saw that quite a bit before me, but go on. Let's see what you thought of the So favorite. I went into this film with muted expectation because someone I know who we have a fairly similar interest in films for said they, ha- they had a, an experience similar to Glass in the screening where time just seemed to not be moving... They weren't enjoying it. So I went in with low expectation. I thought it was really good. I I don't think it's as good as all the hype it's getting. I think Olivia Coleman is fantastic in it. Mm. But other than that, I think I like the use of language, which I mean I'm a person who likes to liberally use the C word, but I just felt it was used in this film for the wrong reasons, almost as a sort of all oh, look they're saying the C word rather mm. than it being dialogue. I thought a lot of the camera angles, like there's a lot of fisheye camera usage and it just seemed to, it really jarred with me. I, th- 
I think all the acting's really good, but for me it was just a perfectly decent film as opposed to a great film. So again, I've started talking about my feelings on the film without explaining it. So this follows... It's Queen Anne, isn't it? Yep. So Olivia Colman is Queen Anne, a, a real queen who... She wasn't a queen for very long. She's had quite a hard life. Her husband's died. She's had 17, a mixture of miscarriages and stillbirths mm. and children that have died shortly after birth. She now has 17 rabbits because she's bought herself a rabbit after every time. And it's essentially Rachel Weiss is like her confidant. Mm. But essentially she is using her for power. She She's like her Dick Cheney. Essentially, yeah. She mm. is telling her what she thinks. She's telling her what she's going to do. <clears throat> Um, they're, they're having a relationship as well. We see them kissing. And Emma Stone turns up, who... She's related to Rachel Weisz, isn't, isn't she? Isn't she like a cousin? A cousin or, or something. a cousin's and, daughter or and something. And she gets her a job like in the kitchen or something. And s- through a series of events, Emma Stone essentially becomes close to the Queen as well. And it becomes a fight between the two of them to become the favourite. The favourite. <laughs> um, again, I thought Emma Stone was perfectly decent. She held up quite a decent accent, I thought. It, it did wheedle a couple of times but yeah so it's just them having sort of escalating things where they're trying to push each other there's a war going on in france and emma stone's character wants to like withdraw and end the war rachel vice's character it's not really explained why she wants the war to continue and to heavily tax the rest of the country to pay for it but i mean i think they're sort of showing it as rachel vice is the bad one Mm -hmm. and emma stone is the good one although she becomes a little bit twisted in between when she starts getting her own way but yeah i thought it was good but i wasn't blown away i don't get where all this like 13 oscar nominations and stuff is coming from um i do um (laughs) i i think the favorite was fantastic i absolutely loved it um i've i've had i would just throw oscars at it like whatever category they're up for give them the fucking oscar for it I I love the way I love the the way it was written. So the liberal use of swearing I thought was hilarious. I loved it. The Rachel Weisz's character trying to write Queen Anne a letter after she's been like expelled from the palace, and she just sits down and writes one. She goes, "You cunt," and I just thought that's so brilliant because she's so mad at her. She probably would just say that. Um, I thought that the the relationship between the three female leads was so. Um, interesting and manipulative and they're all manipulating each other Um, and Queen Anne is very uh, fragile in this, shall we say. Um, She has had a lot of um, tragedy in her life but she is, I would say, equally as manipulative as the other two. She knows she's playing them off against each other. Um, And also she's getting the things that she wants from them as well. Yeah. but my favourite of the favourite was Nicholas Holt. Oh, yeah, he was... I forgot he was... Um, in, yeah, he's outlandish. His his character as the wannabe Prime Minister in that bloody powdered wig, um, I d- he was just hilarious. Um, and, and he as well is manipulating, you know. He manipulates the three women as well to get what he wants. Um, and... Everything around, I thought that because obviously we've been looking at uh, the Oscar categories um, and looking at the nominations, and you know, when I so I kind of certain films, if I know they're up for Oscars, I think I probably watch them differently, yeah, and I'm sort of paying attention to other things. Although, like I think I've said before on this pod, over the last couple of years, I have watched films differently anyway, and Mm. I look at things in a different way. But I mean, the, the costume designs. The makeup, obviously, but I think more so the costume designs. It was filmed at Hatfield House, which is just mm. down the road from here. But the, you know, the sets, if you like, they're not sets, it's an actual house. Um, the setting and the music was used so well. Um, I really noticed that in part, real sort of like um, points in the film where it was very tension filled for Queen Anne. Um, the music almost became like an alarm going off or like a siren. Mm. Um, And it became like really repetitive and would get louder and louder and louder and louder, almost to the point where she couldn't cope. And then something would happen and the music would quieten down. It was just used really, really well. And I would say, I don't know if it's up for any kind of sound awards. I know we're not really talking about those, but um, 
if it's up for any kind of like costume or sound awards, I would say it's definitely got to be a player for those. Oh, it's definitely and, for costume. And easily for the actresses as well. I mean, I, I would probably give a nod to Nicholas Holt as well, but certainly those actors, if it comes down to, I'm assuming um, Olivia Coleman's up for best lead and the other two are up for best supporting. Yeah. Are they both up for it? Yeah, for the Oscar. How how are they going to pick one over the other? I don't know. Because you know I'm not a massive Emma Stone fan. Yeah. In in some roles, she, like she's not an actress that would make me want to go to watch a film. Olivia Coleman is. Rachel Weisz is. Um, but she definitely is not. But I felt that she matched those two mm. in this film. I thought the favourite was excellent. Is it your favourite? It's not my favourite. I still probably prefer advice of the films that we've spoken about thus far. Um, but I really, really rated it. I can totally see why it's got all the nods. Anyway, what else did you watch? <clears throat> uh, I so think I, like it goes downhill from here. Somewhat. Uh, so <coughs> I then went on, a, I don't know why I started, but a binge because, as we mentioned during the Halloween podcast, I hadn't seen all of the Friday the 13th films. Mm. So I watched Friday the 13th part four, five, six and seven. Okay. And eight, I think. I, f- I basically finished off the box set. Um, God, they're shit, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> like, Can we just leave it there? Because <laughs> it's... The thing... It's just, there's no storyline, is there? No. It is just... Because obviously, like, all of them, like, Freddy, Michael, they're just killing machines, but... Mm. There's, there's no... There's no... He's doing it because of this. It's... He's getting from A to B. There's people between A and B, and he kills them. Mm. And there's and there's one where he's fighting a telekinetic girl out of fucking nowhere. It's just he dies, he comes back. I quite liked one where in the end it wasn't actually Jason, it was someone pretending to be Jason. I thought that was a nice twist. Mm. Um and it's just there's one where it's set on a boat and it's just I yeah. I love the way you're 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 speechless. Aren't I watched you? all of them and I was just watching them go like I couldn't tell you any other than the telekinetic girl. I couldn't tell you what happened and even then I couldn't tell you. Did you watch them in what, one hit? I watched them like one a night for like mm. a week. Okay. Because they're only about ninety minutes each, mm. so I was just banging through. Them. But it was just I was literally just like, I don't understand how Jason has such a following because I don't think he's a very charismatic person as a killer. Obviously, he's got the iconic look, but. Mm. I think that's what it is. I, I just don't... Because a lot of them... Because obviously reading the IMDb trivia every time I watch it, lots of them, they were like cutting out gore and stuff because they wanted to not have an R rating. So I think if they'd just gone for the R rating and had like those bits where they, they were cutting heads off and instead they were showing the, the machete swoop and then mm. blood splatter but not actually showing the decapitation. It's like, just fucking go for it. Mm. Like, that's clearly all it was about. It's sort of gornography before gornography there was a thing, but very mild going on just think fuck it <coughs> this franchise is about young girls with their boobs out getting slaughtered but they just seem to hold back on it it's just because I've always considered like Jason X to be a dreadful film but it's probably the best of the series <laughs> <laughs> other than Freddy vs. Jason that Freddy vs. Jason is easily the best Jason Voorhees film for me Obviously, the first one is really good as well, but that's not a Jason Voorhees film. Mm. It's a Pamela Voorhees film. Um, but yeah, I've watched them all. I will keep the box set because I've got a little horror shelf, but I can't foresee myself ever thinking like, you know what, I'm going to watch the Friday films again. I'll probably watch random ones on Friday the 13th. But yeah, my word. My word, amazing. <laughs> what did they get on uh, Letterboxd? Uh, so the final chapter, three stars... A New Beginning, two and a half. Uh, Jason Lives, three. The New Blood, three. And Jason Takes Manhattan, two. See, I think three out of five is still an all right school. 60%. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it's not... I couldn't go any lower than three for most of them because it was like... I watched them quite happily. The, the last one got two because it was the one set on the boat and I was probably just like, what is even fucking happening here? There's characters in there that seem like they're sinister and they turn out not to be <coughs> sinister. But yeah... Did not enjoy. Well. Massively. Um, shall I do one? Go for well, it. Well, I'd say I'm going to do one. It's one we watched together. Um, another unlimited unlimited screening, I yep. think. Escape Room. It was. Um, which caused some confusion because at the same time it came out, a film came onto Netflix called Escape Room. Um, yep. 
and we thought we were going to see that, but no, it's just a film with exactly the same title and I'm assuming subject matter. I think it's just a lot less budgety because obviously in this one they go into different rooms yeah, and one of the rooms is like a fucking Alaskan yeah. lake hut and stuff, whereas That's the other one is just favorite. set in a room. Um, So this is a story of six five or six five or six but five we only really follow three to start with don't we till we actually get in the yeah room. so essentially a group of strangers five or six we can't remember um are brought together um we don't know why or how at the beginning you see a little bit of backstory on like terry says three of them um anyway they're brought together and it's to do an escape room which turns out to be a series of escape rooms and one mm. by one they're sort of picked off aren't they um, and then later on, they they end up in a room at one point, and they kind of work out why they've all been brought yeah. together. Why it's they're the people. Together, and there's yeah. there's this incredibly like cringy, um, cringy scene where they all tell us their backstories. Yeah. Um, which is just. Ugh. I mean, a few of them ugh. it's hinted at because the first couple of rooms seem to be centered around one of the people, and that yeah. seems to disappear after the third room because the first room where essentially it becomes an oven is the Based, army woman yeah but that's like yeah so it focuses on specific people's fears yeah. doesn't it yeah the second one in the hut is the guy because it's about the reindeer then yeah. there's the outside freezing bit which and then after that whether it's just because those people had died so we didn't get the significance but mm. they just seem to become random rooms after that whereas up to that point there was a very pointed message behind yeah. each room I thought the upside down room was quite clever. Yeah. Um, but essentially, as we were watching it, I, I mean, I felt it was a sore film mixed with, and this is probably strange because they didn't see what was coming, a Final Destination film with the way they tried to do the deaths. Yeah, yeah. Do you see what I mean? With the yeah, sort there was of like an inevitability. Yeah, yeah, but a kind of like elaborate deaths, which is kind of what the Saw movies are like as well. Mm. But it was just like we're not we're not well, we're not watching anything new here. No, and um, I cared not a jot for anyone in it. Um, it was really just. I probably would have preferred to just sit in and watch the version of Escape Room that's on Netflix. Mm. It was it was almost a bit of because we were all sat there, weren't we? And when it finished, we were just like. That wasn't even worth coming out for. Yeah, I was just like, thank fuck it's thank fuck it's finished. But at the same time, it wasn't like the ending of Glass. But I think because I was looking forward to Glass, mm. so I was hugely disappointed. Whereas this just finished, and it was just kind of like, oh well, well that. Because yeah, I think was with Glass, that we at least you could get the... annoyed that it was shit. This yeah. was just. We just we weren't really expecting much from it. We didn't get much from it. Um, the ending was very naff. I oh, thought the ending was awful. Um. So yeah, that's another one that we we wouldn't it really. It was just they clearly recommend. thought it could be quite interesting. Escape rooms are quite popular. Yeah. And they've thrown quite a bit of money at it, but not in the right places. But what I didn't realise as well, um, and Lucy told me about this, that actually a group of teenagers did actually die. Oh in yeah, an yeah, because they Poland, they pushed the I film think? back a little bit. I think yeah. Um, so they actually died when a, an escape room they were in caught fire, and of course the first room that they're in in the movie has fire yeah. in it um and so the movie had to be pushed back um which i wasn't aware of but in any case uh there we go the film escape i imagine it's the kind of film that will probably do all right when it comes out on dvd because it'll yeah. be quite cheap it'll i can imagine like it'll be like a tenner or yeah, something or 8.99 cheaper than that 7.99 yeah something like that and it'll probably do all right with like the younger horror. I was just about to say, I can imagine audience. like 14, 15 year olds be like, oh yeah, look at that, look at that. The um, same sort of ones that enjoyed The Predator. Okay. Um, if you want a good escape room film, I would recommend Fermat's Room, which is, I think, Spanish. We've watched it. Yeah. And that's just set in one room and it's a bit more mathematical, but it's yeah. just a lot cleverer and a lot but more there's suspenseful. An, there's another one that we've seen as well, which I don't recall being foreign language but I'll, I'll have a little think on that as well but there were a few films that we've seen like that where I think they've been trapped in a room um, but anyway yeah moving on from Escape Room um, what else you seen? well the next film I watched and I'm going to shock you here I watched a film with James Franco and I think James Franco was fucking amazing in it was it was it was it I can't remember the name of it. But the Disaster Artist. 
Oh, no, that's not what so I was thinking of. So, were you thinking of 127 hours? Uh, no, I don't know what I was thinking of. Oh, so, yeah, the disaster. Did it you came... buy it? Uh, no, I borrowed it, unfortunately. Uh, I would like to buy it, though. It was a very, very good film. So, came out last year. He won, I think, the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical. And then a lot of shit came out about what a douchebag he is and... It all died away before the Oscars came out. So it is a film which is the making of the film The Room, not The Room with Brie Larson that won Oscars. The film widely considered to be one of the worst films ever made. Which I'd love to see. I want to see. It's on at the Prince Charles at the moment, but they only do like quite expensive screenings because Tommy Wiseau comes and does a talk, and I'm not really interested in that because he seems like a fucking idiot. Okay. Um, But I do want to see the film. But it is the making of that film with James Franco as Tommy Wiseau who is a bit of an enigma. So in the film, he never gives his age to anyone. He just says, "I'm whoever asks him how old he is, he says, I'm the same age as you. He's got a weird like Eastern Bloc accent, but insists that he's from New Orleans. Mm. He doesn't seem to have a job, but he has an infinite amount of money. At no point does money become an issue. And like They actually say at the end of the film, with the, with the writing that tells you what happened in real life, the making of the room cost $6 million and he paid for every penny of it. Mm. And it didn't seem to bat an eyelid to him. It's gone on now to make tens and tens of millions because mm. he does all these tours and he does all this merch. It's like kind of like a cult film now, isn't it? It has, yeah. There's there's <laughs> cinemas in, obviously, like the Prince Charles in the USA that only show The Room and they mm. have, like, midnight screenings. It's fa- There's a famous scene where they play American football in tuxedos and people dress up in that. There's something to do with wooden spoons as well. Have you seen The Room? I've not seen it. I really want to. I was looking it up on Amazon. It's like 30 quid. But, and I'm not paying that because I'm not going to pay that for a film that I know is going to be shit. Mm. And I feel like it's definitely going to be a film you need to watch with people. So you're not just sat there going, this is shit. Mm. Um, so yeah, so it's the making of, it's Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sistero is his name. But he's played by Dave Franco, James' brother. Mm. So they're actually playing opposite each other. And it's just... It's just it starts off with the two of them meeting and both wanting to be actors and they decide to move to San Francisco. Not sorry, they live in San Francisco. They decide to move to LA to become actors. They're both shit actors. They both get constantly rejected by everyone. At one point, Tommy Wiseau sees Judd Apatow out having dinner with his wife and then just goes and starts reading Shakespeare at him. And Judd Apatow has him forcibly <laughs> removed from the restaurant while shouting, "I'm at dinner with my fucking wife. Leave me alone, you idiot." And then jokingly, Mark just sort of says to him, oh, maybe we should write our own film. And that mm. ignites something in Tommy. So he goes away and writes The Room. And then the rest of the film is the making of it. And it is just how Tommy is a dreadful actor, a dreadful script writer, a dreadful everything, but just has this unlimited funds. Like one of the first scenes after they make the film is the guy he's hired to do the directing goes to like cash his check and surprised that it gets cashed. And the guy's like, yeah, this this account we we have no idea where the money comes from but it is like a bottomless pit um it's never explained where the money comes from it's based on a book called the disaster Artist, and it's never fully explained where he got the money from his official thing is that somehow he ended up owning retail property and it was like all the income from that but there's a rumor that it was all drug money and he mm. was like a front for the mafia but it's just really really good it's so it's really made me want to see the film itself but say james franco He's not James Franco in this film because he's got a weird nose on, he's got long hair, he's got this weird accent. And I hate James Franco, but you just forget it's James Franco. It's that good a performance from him. And I can't recommend it highly enough. It's, it is it is a really good film. And it ends with the white writing and then it shows scenes that they refilmed for the film and the original film, like mm. side by side, so you can see how well they did at mimicking it. Mm. And seeing those real scenes is just like... It genuinely looks like a film that would like Joey Tribbiani was making whilst in friends, you know, where that he's making stuff that you know is shit and you see bits of days of our lives being filmed. That's what the room looks like. I have, um, I just want to insert a question here because you, uh, said something about the mimicking, how well they mimicked. And I was listening to a podcast the other day, a podcast I listen to a lot, which isn't a movie podcast, but they talk about films that they've seen and, stuff like that. Um, they talk about anything, basically, but they yeah. were talking about films they'd seen, but they were talking about just award season and stuff. And one of the guys said, um, 
we were talking about Remy Malik, and obviously he's picking up yeah. uh, awards for his portrayal of Freddie Mercury. And, you know, he's got an Oscar nomination and stuff. And the the question was on this podcast, and it wasn't a slight on Remy Malik. It was a genuine just sort of like, what are your thoughts on this? Are... Um, Actors who are doing an impersonation of someone else, they're so doing a, a very good impersonation of Freddie Mercury or doing a very good impersonation of Dick Cheney or doing a very good impersonation like James Franco was, yeah. where you're seeing scenes where they're literally mimicking them frame by frame perfectly. Are those um, performances as valid or as valid an acting role as someone who's not mimicking, someone who's bringing to life a fresh character as it were do you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean um and what did what did you think um it's an interesting one because obviously generally in award seasons the people mimicking people are the ones that win because yeah. there's a frame of reference and i guess it in a way i guess in a way it's harder to make something afresh but at the same time it's harder to mimic someone because I say in this, James Franco ceases to exist and he becomes Tommy Wiseau. Remy Malik ceases to exist and he becomes Freddie Mercury. So it is, if you can be that good an actor that you pick up ticks, but I guess you are just copying someone. Exactly. I think that was the point of the question is like you're copying someone and, and you're not creating your own character. But then I guess they're giving like, I mean, I don't know Freddie Mercury that well. I don't know Dick Cheney that well. I imagine they're still putting something into that role. Mm. That there's going to be gaps where obviously Freddie Mercury at Live Aid, we know exactly what that looks like, and that's frame by frame. But the stuff behind the scenes, off stage, that's Remy Malik putting a spin on Freddie Mercury, or thinking this is how Freddie would be in that situation. So he's still bringing something new to it. But yeah, it is an interesting philosophical I th question. I thought it was an interesting question. And I think it comes down as well to the the character they're impersonating. Because I put the question to Rich as well from the fan club. Um, and I said that you and I had been, I don't know, disappointed is the right word. But with all the nods that Bohemian Rhapsody and Remy Malik are getting... It wasn't that we were saying, oh, we thought Bo Rap was shit and Remy Malik was shit. Obviously, we loved that film, but there were other films that were being nominated and other actors that were being mm. nominated that we'd probably pick over here. Um, but Rich was just kind of like, well, what's the difference? Because you're raving about Christian Bale, but he's doing Dick Cheney. So what's the difference between him doing Dick Cheney and Remy Malik doing Freddie Mercury? But I guess it all just comes down to preference because yeah. I just preferred Vice to Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody. So... I mean, that said, when I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, I was, that was very good. And I immediately said, he's the front runner for the Oscar. And I think if it wasn't for Christian Bale also playing a real person, it would be absolutely done and dusted that Remy Malik would win the Oscar for Freddie Mercury. But I think mm. Christian Bale, I think it's a, a toss up between the two of them. But we'll talk about that next episode. Yeah. But personally, I wouldn't give it to either of them. <gasps> Interesting. Right. Um... You got anything else that you've watched? What were we just talking about? Oh, the, the disaster, disaster room. artist. Disaster artist. Disaster room. You mix two films yeah. together there. <coughs> well, three because I was looking at Escape Room as well. I'll just insert one that I watched. Then this was one uh, that I watched on Netflix. You know, when you're sort of flicking through Netflix, thinking, "Oh, I want to watch a film. I want to yeah. watch a film," and you maybe pick a film based on its length. Oh yeah. Um, which I'm still I'm still campaigning for yeah. a category of ninety minute films. Um, when we wanted to watch a shit horror film, we wanted to watch a short one. Uh, the film Bye Bye Man was picked. Oh, I've seen that. Not by me. Um, but I read the blurb and thought that looks okay. Um, on the blurb, it's probably mm. the kind of film that I would watch. It's basically about three students who move out of. They don't want to live like in their dorms, so they they start renting this house off campus. So it's a couple and uh, their mate. They bring in a third person so they can afford it, and strange things start happening in the house. And basically, they discover that the house is haunted by this entity or ghost, whatever you want to call him, called the Bye Bye Man, um, who kind of makes them realise their fears if they learn his name or yeah, something so like that. If you learn his name, you can't like stop saying it and it's yeah. you sort of pass it on verbally. Yeah, so 
they're they're very aware and they're very conscious not to say his name to other people because if they say his name to other people, then he then starts sort of haunting them yeah. as well, making basically making them do bad things. Um, but it just wasn't very good. No, um, I think it was a good idea and a good premise, but just very poorly executed. Yeah, it just it just wasn't done very well, um, and it's not one. You know, if you like horror movies, and I love horror movies, and I like lots of different genres of horror, but um, definitely won't be getting a watch from me. And I gave it the old thumbs down rating on Netflix because I didn't want. That's to quite s- something. I did well. You only get a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It I certainly know. won't get a thumbs up, because um, I wouldn't want other films like that recommended. Um, so yeah, the Bye Bye Man got a, a thumbs down and a, a one star from me. No good. Right, what, did, what have you seen? Uh, so, strangely... I've only got two more to see. I've got three more, including the one I'm about to say. Uh, so, I watched a shit horror film as well, which I'd seen before, and I don't know why, I just had a hankering to watch it for a long time. So, it's Texas Chainsaw 3D, is what they called it. Amazing. Um, but it is a direct sequel to the original <coughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre, ignoring all of the sequels and reboots. And it actually starts immediately upon the ending of Texas Chainsaw with the girl in the back of the truck driving off and then the sheriff arriving at the house. Mm -hmm. A massive shootout ensues. A load of yokels turn up, burn down the house with the Hewitts in it. Are they the Hewitts? I can't remember. But the the Chainsaw family. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a baby is taken from one of them as they're dying. And then it cuts like 30 years later, set in the now times and this girl we know we know that she's grown up she doesn't know that she is a former chainsaw person she's working in the butchers of a supermarket because obviously you have to have that because she's one of them and essentially she gets a letter from her grandma who she thought both her grandmas were dead but she then finds out she's adopted and her real grandma has left everything to her as she's died her and her friends go on a road trip to this house um, they're exploring the house and in the basement Leatherface has been living and doesn't know what's going on because all these random people are in his house and starts killing people and there's like a conspiracy within the town that they hate this family obviously and they want to get her they they find out that she's part of the family so they're after her it's actually alright it's not it's not brilliant it's quite low on the deaths because there's not that many people in some films like the Jason films there's lots of people in it, so he's got lots of people to kill, whereas this is a bit more about her relationship with so Leatherface is her cousin, and it's her coming to understand why the family were like they were. Does she want to be part of that? She hates her real her real family, inverted commas. Um, and it's only like 90 minutes. Um, I really like Alexandra Daddaro, who is the girl in it. She's in Baywatch and other films. I just find her as quite a nice actress. Um, lovely blue eyes. Um <laughs> but um yeah it's just a, a decent film like it's one of those it's a nice easy watch it's not ott with the gore and stuff mm. like that um yeah just i like it when was it made it was made in 2013 oh, okay not and it was meant to like start like a new front like a new trilogy or whatever but it didn't do very well but i really like it cool um, okay, on Monday, I went to see an unlimited screening and a really early one as well because this film's not yeah, released. Yeah, because I was going to go and see it, but I couldn't end, go in the end. Uh, the film's not released until the 14th of February. Um, and I went to see if Beale Street could talk, uh, which of course is there's a bit of awards buzz around this as well. So I wanted to see it. Um, this is a film about um, predominantly about a young female uh she's 19 when the film starts and her partner her boyfriend is sent to prison and for a crime he didn't commit and she discovers while she's in jail that she's pregnant and it's her the story is essentially her fight to get him out of jail whilst going through a pregnancy and then a birth yeah Mm -hmm. um it's, it begins with um, her and her family. So her and her family are trying to get him out. Um, they don't have a very good relationship with his family. Um, so his dad is okay, but his mother and two sisters are 
like nasty pieces of work. So they're not close. And for whatever reason, it's her family that are working to get him released. And at first they think it's going to be very easy. And then it turns out, you know, as the film goes on and essentially towards the end of the film, she has a child and you see that child as a toddler going to visit him in prison. So Mm. what they think is going to be something like a couple of months in prison obviously turns into a couple of years. And the story is essentially her surviving whilst he's in there and trying to get him out of jail. And I guess how their relationship lasts, you know, how you don't sort of see in depth how he's coping in prison, but there are scenes where she goes to visit him in prison. So you get an idea and there's nice flashback scenes as well of things that they've done together, evenings that they've spent together with, you know, with friends or in their new apartment or stuff like that before he goes to prison. So essentially he's accused of uh, breaking into a woman's house and raping her, but a policeman has basically framed him. Yeah. Um, and put him in a lineup and told this woman, pick that guy out. And she has, and then she, she does a runner so they can't get her back to the country. And that's why he ends up staying in prison. You never actually find out if it's resolved. Mm. Or anything like that. You just go along with the story that he didn't do it. But, you know, logistics wise, where they live and where it was meant to happen, he couldn't have done it anyway. And he's got alibis and stuff. So you're just kind of going along with the fact that his family and his partner are telling the truth. Yeah. You never actually see any of that play out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You just go along with it that, that that's what happened, that he's been set up by this dodgy, dodgy placement. Um, it's, you know, it's obviously quite a, a hard going story, but without being a hard going watch. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense, it's really nicely filmed. Um, I don't know when it's set, to be honest. Um, is it a true story or is it? No, I don't think it is. I think it's based on a novel. <coughs> it looks it looks really nice. Like the um, the clothes and everything that they're wearing look very sort of like authentic and of the time. Um, the time that you don't know. And no, it but is. it just looks it just looks cool. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, and there's a really nice shot of them at the start, and I was really like struck by it. Um, right near the start of the film where they're wa- they're just walking together and they're walking down this set of stairs and they're wearing the same colours but opposite. So I think she's wearing... I might have this the wrong way around. She's wearing like a blue dress with like a yellow jacket and he's wearing like a yellow shirt with a denim jacket. So they're yeah. both wearing like yellow and blue but flipped around because they're sort of those colours really work well together and it just is a very, very striking scene. Um, and the music that's used as well, sort of like the background, you know, like the score, but also the music that they're playing in the background. Because they play a lot of music, they put a lot of records on, mm. and that seems quite central to it. Um, them listening to the music or singing along to the music. Um, and I just, I just thought it was a very interesting story, and I was quite sort of like, not gripped like on the edge of my seat, but certainly, I was very interested throughout yeah. the film. Um, and this is um, this has got a supporting actress nomination. Yeah. Which trivia time? This is the first time a film's been had a supporting actress nomination without being nominated for best feature film, I believe. Yeah, there is something like that. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. And when we talk about the Oscars, we'll talk about that supporting actress nomination. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was a really solid film. It's not all like you know. Mm. bells and whistles and loads well, of action or anything like that. From the writer of Moonlight, isn't Drama it? Drama-driven. Um, no, I really liked it. It's really cool. What have you got next? Uh, so, next one. I won't go into too much detail because you've covered it previously. I watched Cam, the Netflix original oh, film. Oh, did you watch it because I said about it? It was on my list anyway, but I was just flicking and it's it's not that long. No. Again, you go, th- well, that sounds good. Two hours. Fuck off. And you skip through. So, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it as well. I thought it was a very interesting film. So. Yeah. As you mentioned before, it's about a girl who is a cam girl and she's trying to build up, get her placings up and win over her fans. And she's doing really well. And then one day she goes to log into her account and she's been locked out. But there's someone who looks exactly like her performing on her channel, climbing up the rankings. And it's her sort of descent into madness and obscene versions to try and get back to that and trying to find out what's happening. And it, 
is there a conspiracy and one of her clients i say clients that makes it sound a bit more seedy um is like stalking her almost and it's it was it didn't go the way i was expecting it to go which i think is what you said as well but mm. i thought really interesting film really again like quite low-key it's there's only about five people i think who are in it and speak but yeah i just really enjoyed it thought it was a really nice film a oh, nice film a good film nice film look it looked good didn't it yeah cool um okay final one for me because i wanted to try and watch as many oscar uh nominated films as possible as i watched roma because it's on netflix yeah um and fuck me what a film um it was so so dan asked me what i thought of roma earlier when he came to set up the stuff and i told him listen listen to the pod and find out yeah. Um, it was quite interesting because Lucy and I were having a little discussion about this um, yesterday. She came home when I was watching it and she said, she goes, I don't think it's my kind of film. And actually when she said, what are you watching? And she stood there for a couple of minutes and she just kind of went, ugh. Because I really enjoy films where not really a lot happens. Yeah. When you're just kind of watching life, but if it's filmed right and it's told right, it's really interesting, I think. Yeah. Whereas some people, it's not for them. And that's that's totally cool. You know, you might want action. You know, you might want sex in a film. You might want, you know, special effects in a film. Mm. But for me, I just like to watch... I like all those things, don't get me wrong, but I like just watching life. Yeah. Um, and I can 100% see why this film has had praise that it's had i read something on imdb that another director said it might have even been del toro um one director said it was the most important film they'd ever seen Mm. like you know and other directors are putting it in their like top 10 films of all time so roma is essentially follows um a lady called cleo who i don't really want to use the word maid but i don't really know what else to call her she lives with a family in mexico and she basically does everything for them. She does all their cooking, their cleaning. She gets the children up in the morning and dresses them. She makes for, makes sure that mum and dad have their breakfast before they go to work. She takes the kids to school, uh, to appointments. You know, she picks up the dog shit from the garden, um, goes and does the shopping. She kind of like does everything for them. Mm. So um, I don't think they're referred to as maids, but more like household assistants. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but... Um, I think it's set in 1970. Yeah, because um, it's set against the Depression or some, something yeah. horrible happening in the country. Um, so it's set in 1970. We follow Cleo and this family. Uh, it's it's long. It's like two hours 15. Because mm. I was going to watch it. started because I think it looks beautiful. And then I I realised that I just wasn't going to have to stay awake for it because it didn't have the action to keep me awake. Yeah. Um, I... I basically started watching it and I was thinking, I'm not going to watch much of this. And I sat and watched it for so much longer. I had to watch it in two parts um, only because I ran out of time. Um, But I sat and watched it for so much longer than I thought it was going to, because as it, as it went on, I became more invested in the people in it Mm. and just their lives. Um, So you've got, the family that she looks after is mum, dad and four kids. And there's also another woman that she works with as well. And there's a grandmother who's in the house as well. I don't know if she lives there, but there's a marriage breakup that goes on. Cleo falls pregnant. Um, and, you know, she has a relationship, which is a relationship. And then it's then it's not. And she has to deal with this pregnancy. She has to deal with the the breakup of the marriage of the family that she lives with. And then there's a tragedy partway through. And actually when the tragedy happens in it, I had to stop watching because I was so upset because I was actually sat there and I was like, I don't want this thing to happen to this mm. character. But actually the, the, the main character Cleo, I think is based on the director's maid or assistant that they had when he was growing up. So yeah. I don't know if she had the same like life experiences, but like you say, the, the way it's filmed, it looks so amazing and so crisp and like, but it's black and white, but it looks yeah. so vibrant on the screen. And the way it's lit is, it looks like perfectly made sets, but it was, it was filmed like on locations. And, 
but you look like you're looking at a perfect set. Yeah. I think when you're looking at the house and at the street, certainly at the street, the scenes that they have, just looking down the street, it just looks so incredible. Um, and for a film where nothing much really happens, there's a bit in the middle where qu- there's quite a little bit of action, but generally you're just watching people's lives. Mm. There's a scene where you're watching a woman pick up dog shit, right? There's nothing happening. But I was so gripped by it. And if that doesn't get at least one pat on the back for something, something wrong with the Oscars. And obviously, you didn't mention it, but it is a Netflix original that's mm. nominated for director, film, all sorts. So that's yeah. it. Ballad of Buster Scruggs has some as well. So it does seem, there seems to be no fanfare about it, which when you consider a couple of years ago is a big thing about Netflix films. Yeah, it's, isn't it the first time that they've let, sort of like let the Netflix films in? Yeah, I think, because the thing is with Roma, I think they got away with it because they have had it at cinema. Mm. It's a Netflix have just paid for that as well. But, you know, the director made it exclusively for Netflix. Yeah. And he was just like, no, I'm going to make this film. I'm going to do it for Netflix and the Academy are going to like it. Mm. You know, as in they are going to fucking consider yeah. it. Um, but when I think that you've got films like Glass and Escape Room, which are, I'm not saying that they're, they're being considered for Oscars, but what I mean is that they're getting the big sort of like theatrical releases. It's not that Roma couldn't get a theatrical mm. release, but it was essentially made for a TV channel. And it is insanely good. I think the difference is a studio film, you've got to get it past producers, mm. heads of studio, whereas Netflix go to people, you want to make that film for 20 million. There's 20 million, bring yeah. us a film. They don't stick their oar in. They don't try and know better than the director, whereas a big Hollywood studio, they will. They'll go, no, we don't like that. Cut that bit out, that character's shit. Yeah. Get her tits out, stuff like that, whereas you're not going to get that from Netflix. So that's why the directors, because like Zack Schneider's now making a Netflix film. There's lots of people that are pitching to Netflix mm. and want to make films for Netflix. I'd be, I'd be very interested to see it if it was like shown at a cinema. Mm. I'd like to see it on a big I screen. I imagine the Prince... Uh, no, the Prince Charles have got it in 70 mil. I can't remember oh, when. Oh, that would... Honestly, that would just be... I just des- I described it to Dan as a feast for the eyes. It was... When it finished... And it just ends as well. Mm. It just ends. You're watching a scene and, and then the credits are there. And it's... But it's it's just so amazing to look at I imagine a lot of people would just watch that and just go that's boring son that's boring that is but I absolutely loved it. there's a I haven't watched many films in the last three weeks because I'm busy doing other stuff but that's that's right up there with you know enjoyment levels you know with like Vice and The Favourite for me and I blooming loved those what about in comparison to Phantom Fred <sighs> different though isn't it because I am in love with The Phantom Thread yeah um, I I couldn't relate to Roma. Yeah. Um, but there were some things that I could relate to in the Phantom Thread, mainly the ugly dresses, um, <laughs> <laughs> and the particular breakfast order. Um, no, I, I can't I can't compare them. They're too different. And don't ask me to compare anything to Phantom Thread. <laughs> um, ask me to compare it to the Phantom Menace, <laughs> which I'm not going to do. Um, yeah. So Roma. That was the last thing I watched. Cool. So the last thing I watched was a documentary, which is a Netflix oh, original. Oh, yeah, I've been wanting to hear about this. Uh, so I can't really say too much. It's called Abducted in Plain Sight. The end. No, so it's called Abducted in Plain Sight, and it's about an abduction <laughs> that happened in plain sight uh, in the 1970s in America. And to say it is the weirdest fucking thing I have ever heard about so I watched it. I'd seen a few things on social media. People said, like, it's a crazy story. Like, how can it be real? And genuinely, if this was a film or a television series, you would turn it off because it is fucking ridiculous. Mm. The things people do, the decision making of people is just so ridiculous. But it's a true story. So essentially, you've got a couple with a load of children. They make friends with a man and a wife. The man is essentially a paedophile who likes one of the little girls. He manages to infiltrate the family and abduct her. And essentially he says, I'm going to take her horse riding and they don't come back. 
the parents ring the wife what's going on i think we need to call the police she convinces them not to call the police despite the fact he's absconded with their child so this mm. is the 70s so she's just like oh no they've probably broken down they'll be fine they'll come back they don't call the police for five days mm. of their daughter being missing with a man and it just it gets weirder from there so essentially he's gone to mexico with her he marries her how old is she at 12 uh, in Amer- in mexico the age is a lot lower through his brother he says like oh, i'll i'll bring her back but you need to write you need to write me a letter to say that i'm married to her and that you accept it otherwise i'm not coming back he comes back they get her back she's now like i'm in love with him i want to marry him um it's i can't say too much because i don't want to ruin people's enjoyment but something will happen like that and you think oh this can't get any weirder something else will happen this can't get any weirder and it just gets more as i say it is just so ridiculous so essentially she gets kidnapped by the same guy twice Mm. (laughs) there's this whole thing around he tells her that she's actually an alien princess and she has to save her home planet by having a baby with him by the time she's 16 good grief but she can't tell anyone if she tells anyone her father will be vaporized. One of her sisters will be blinded. And then her youngest sister will have to take on the task of becoming pregnant. Hmm. But he, like her parents can only be described as fucking retarded with some of the things they do. I'm not going to say anymore because you have to watch it. But say I was messaging someone going, oh, I've got to this bit. And then it gets worse. It gets more ridiculous. Oh, I've hit this bit up. It still gets more ridiculous. It's only about an hour and 40 minutes long. I started watching it at midnight last night and had to finish it, which is why I'm so tired and keep yawning. Because it's just, I need to know how this resolves. And it is just the most farcical thing I've ever watched. And I say, if it was not a true story, I would not believe it was real. I would just think this is such a laughable film that Mm. you would even attempt to have this as plot lines it's stupid but it's real and these people because it's all like there's some sort of bits where they've filmed it and then most of it is just them talking they've got actual tapes of um phone conversations so you get to hear that and it's like talking with the fbi and stuff but it is just it has to be watched to be believed and understood truth is stranger than fiction it really really is all right that's going straight on my list i watch that how many stars did you give it i gave it four stars um, but yeah, it's absolutely dumbfounding. And I know that I will be getting a lot of messages from you while you're watching it. <laughs> the same, oh, I want to watch it. The same that I was sending to Emily, who was one who was like, you've got to watch it. You'll be sending exactly the same message. I've got to this bit now. It can't get any weirder. It's going to get weirder. Okay. I'll bear that in mind. Right. Are we all done? That's, are we all caught that's up? That's me all watched out. Yeah. Right. That's all, that's all us caught up. That's the end of episode one. Um, Thanks for listening. Next week, we're going to be talking Oscars. And BAFTAs. And BAFTAs, but mainly Oscars, which I'm very excited about, uh, where Terry and I will be doing some predictions. Um, but yeah, what what do we need to do now? We need to do the social media, Sonia. So, um, I, don't, I never, don't know what it is. So we are Theatrical Cut Pod on Instagram. I'm Prefax on Instagram, and Sonia is Mallory underscore watches. Uh, we don't really do Twitter anymore. Uh, we do have a Facebook page, though, where we Ooh. are, again, the Theatrical Cut Pod. Uh, we're posting a little bit more on there than we perhaps do on the Instagram. And the idea is we'll try and make that a bit more interactive. So if you're enjoying the pod, please go on and like the page, like the posts, share them, spread the word of the Theatrical Cut Pod to your friends and yeah. family. Ask your friends and family to like and listen. Um, and if you want to email in to tell us about ridiculous documentaries you've watched or if you've watched in plain sight and you want to tell us how fucking retarded you think the family is we are theatricalcut at gmail.com sweet any more no i'm all done thanks you for done? listening yeah 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 mike drop <laughs> <laughs>